It was pouring rain, both teams could win, it was a one point game at the end, and Friday night, what more what do you more want? want? And after a little bit of handbags, man, it full on swings it in. Hello everyone, and welcome to Scrum Fly With Me, back for another episode. I'm Archie, and I'm of course joined with Jamie, how are we? Yeah, not bad mate, episode 7, it can is. you believe it? Yeah, I can't believe it, it's uh, gone so quickly. Of course, last week we had the Rugby Minds on, which was a fantastic podcast, really good. Uh, but back to the rugby this week, and we're going to go to the Prem, the Premiership. It was Derby weekend, wasn't it? Derby weekend, yeah, so all five games having a Derby theme around them. Um, it was round six of the Prem, first one Friday night, Bath versus Bristol. Should we go straight into it? Let's go straight into it. Yeah, it was it was really good to see lots of derbies um, across the board, and I'm glad that the Premiership have actually done that, because it does build something into this weekend, something quite big. Uh, but yeah, straight in, at the wreck, Bath versus Bristol. Uh, I thought it was a perfect Prem game, to be honest. It, it was a fantastic start to a great weekend, one-point thriller. Mm-hmm. Um, Bath really came out guns blazing, but so did Bristol, uh, which is unsurprising because they were on the back of three losses. They obviously had a few few players out, um, but no, they, they played all right. They got a few tries, uh, really got the ball out wide. It was good to see, but I think Bath's dominance and their threat every time hit players like Ollie Lawrence get on the ball, it's just they offer so much in attack that it's really hard to see them losing a game like that, even by one point. Yeah, he was he was so good, Ollie Lawrence. And it was um, an unbelievably hectic first half, I thought. It was just action everywhere, so many offloads. Um, not, you know, it wasn't a, a try, a seven try each, but it was a really, really hectic first half. Um, and I thought Bath just captured it a little bit better. They did. That's how Bath are playing at the moment. They're yeah. playing, they've got so much optimism in the way they play, going forward and in defence. And Finn Russell as well, he's just a talisman, isn't he? Mm. Four out of four off the tee. Yeah. Um, he's just, everything goes through him and it's fantastic. And for someone like Orlando Bailey, watch him in the side, he's got so much to learn from. Yeah. From literally one of the best fly halves in the world at his disposal. So, um, yeah, I think Russell, Ollie Lawrence, name a few, played fantastic. And Bath now, second in the Prem. I know. good. I thought uh, Ben Spencer was ridiculous as well. He was really good, making lots of breaks. But also, his partnership with Russell... I think that's going to form a really, really crucial pair this, this year. Yeah, they're such an experienced duo. I mean, mm. Ben Spencer, all these caps of math, and now he's been named captain. And then Finn Russell, obviously, Scotland's one of one of their most capped players at the moment. Um, he's just fantastic. And the two of them combining is it brings so much experience to the game. And for a player like Ollie Lawrence at their um, at their asset to, to, to be able to utilise is just fantastic. Yeah, I thought they were a little bit unlucky or they, they threw a couple of mistakes in there. There was uh, the Malins try after, it was about 55 minutes, mm. where it was the intercept and then um, offload, offload, offload. Um, I think it started, it was started with um, potentially Malins. Um, offload by Thacker and then threw out um, the backs to... Malins. And I thought that was really, really good from Bristol taking it. And it was just a little slip from from Russell. Because mm. uh, before that, I was thinking, look, Bath have easily got to win this. I wasn't thinking this is going to be a one-point game. Mm. And then when Bristol scored that, I think, hang on, look. Bristol, if Bristol can just nudge it, this would be an unbe- unbelievable uh, result for them. Well, you look at that Bristol team, and they've got some real X-Factor players. They've obviously got Callum Sheedy, their, their catalyst. They've got Harry Randall, who was on the verge of the England team a few years ago. Again, Sinclair, um, Vakatawa, mm. um, the the Fijian. They've got so much talent, and obviously Max Malin's back. It's 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 tough to see them lose four in a row now like that because I mean they've got Pat Lamb as well, one of one of the most highly regarded coaches in the league. It's just where do they go from here now? Because there's been so much talk about them utilising all their young players. And then they just stick with their old guns. They bought Malins back. They bought Vakatawa back. Yeah. There's so much uncertainty around that team that it's just hard to see where they go from here. Yeah, I do agree. You look at the team and you think, why are they losing? But I don't know. Maybe Sheedy is sort of he's an experienced Prem player. Don't get me wrong. But across the other teams, you have a look. And almost all of them have international tens. 
that have played some level in international rugby. And I know Sheedy has a bit, but not for a good three or four years, I think. He, yeah. You know, he's, he's been premiership for the last couple of years. And maybe, you know, there's just a tiny bit of X factor missing there. Mm. Um, I mean, he's unbelievable with the boot. He had paired up with Rich Lane again this yeah, weekend for another like score. Every week, they're, yeah. they're getting a little crossfield, aren't they? Unbelievable. But it, perhaps it's not quite clicking uh, all together. And, you know, losing by one point is, is just heartbreaking it's a shame because they're playing some good rugby um, and I just I, as I said I don't really know where to go from, where they go from here because they're not utilising their best players enough Malins comes on within five minutes he gets a try yeah. surely Dan Peters has got to start um, so we'll, we'll see but um, I, I think they've got some real talent and it's it's nice to see them putting some good stuff together and I think with time they will improve mm. I just think they I think Pat Lamb needs to get his system sorted before if he's lost his pile up, he could be out the door. But as I say, it was a really entertaining game and I was watching it, you know, it was pouring rain, both teams could win, it was a one-point game at the end um, and, you know, Friday night, what more do you want? What more do you want? A one-point game in the Prem to start off a a big weekend of Derby action. And I do think that's going to be an important game. The fact that Bath have won that um, and now, as you say, they're second in the table. I think that's going to be a really, really important game. Absolutely. Um, the team that above them, Sale, wow, they're flying, aren't mm. they? 40-22, their fifth win out of six games this season. Uh, yes, it's against Newcastle, but I thought that was still an excellent game. Newcastle putting up four tries themselves. Yeah. Obviously, Sale didn't have George Ford this week, giving him a rest. Rob Debrea comes in, absolute blind of a performance. Uh, obviously got his try, five from six off the tee, and he was so instrumental in that attacking structure. Yeah, I thought Sales' attack was really good. You know, they were running unbelievable lines, they offloading it really well, you know, keeping the ball alive, which is good to see. And against a team like Newcastle, who were quite simple, you know, they were controlled in the breakdown, they knew what to do, and every time that they went to the forwards, it would sort of be forwards ball, forwards ball, into the backs, forwards mm. ball. So they had a really, really controlled game plan. And to sort of combat that, so I went, you know, you know what, we're going to offload here, offload there, you know, a little out the back, run a, run a hard line here. So I think they did, you know, get the better of them. But for 40 minutes, it was a relatively close game. Cause, uh, sorry, for 70 minutes, I was yeah. going to say. Because Sale scored, uh, what, two uh, late tries? Two late tries, yeah. It 75th was, and... It was six se- tries to four in the end. Yeah. It's, if you put it in perspective like that, you've got Rob Dupree with five out of six off the tee, and then you've got Josh Thomas with just one from four. Mm. So maybe if you've got, got a few more conversions, we're talking at a different different scoreline. Yeah. On the whole, that sale team, they're quietly just creeping. And I mean, I know they're first in the table, but no one really talks about them. No, because it, it wasn't you know a top sale performance. They just got the job done. They held out for 70 minutes, Newcastle tied, they went, Let, let's go and rack on the points, and there you go, get the... 20 point win or whatever absolutely and it's not like they've got the most star-studded names but they've got some real young talent who they're Mm. utilising fantastically in particular Joe Carpenter and Tom Roebuck I think are fantastic both 22 year olds um, both played for England in the youth setup. they could be knocking on the door of Steve Borthwick in a few years time yeah and it was all without George Ford as well absolutely you you can stick Rob Dupree in there and he's creating everything and then Joe Carpenter as, as I've just mentioned is just a fantastic asset of fullback. He's having such a good season. Uh, I saw on the fancy points he was well clear of anyone else in his position this week, which puts yeah. in perspective that these young guys are being trusted more and more, and it's great to see. Exactly. Uh, what we are going to do this week is, um, at the end of all the roundup of the games, go through a couple of man of the matches per team. And I was just going to bring this up now because for sale, I did think actually that there were quite a few contenders. You've mentioned two there. We've talked about Rob Dupree. Um, and I was also going to bring in Gus War, yeah, because I thought he he controlled it as, along with Dupree. I think he controlled it really well, as he always does. Yeah, at the moment. like he's the thing is with Gus War, he's such such a good player, but he's got there's there's times in his where his game just lapses concentration, yeah, because he tries to do a bit too much with the ball. Like he he focuses a lot on flair and these quick offloads, especially when he goes by himself. But he's just he sometimes tries to overcomplicate it a bit. But saying that, he's having a great season so mm. far. For obviously, five wins out of six of sale, and your scrum half plays an instrumental part whenever you whenever you play. So. Exactly, uh, and we've talked about it before on the podcast that you know the England team is sort of changing their scrum half. They're going through a bit of a phase where the older going out and the newer coming it's in. It's a crisis at the moment, isn't it? Yes, really? Mitchell is now sort of the nine that played in the World Cup, started over both Danny Kerr and Ben Youngs. Obviously, Van Portfleet was injured, but you know there's so many knives knocking on the door, and I think 
Gus War is probably up there as one of them. Absolutely. If he if he sorts out the mistakes, gets those tweaked out of his game, I certainly think that he could be up there for that English yeah. English shirt. I, I I say he's apprentice, but he's only twenty four, and then he's got Rafi Guerk, who's yeah. twenty two, as his backup as well. So that's two real world class players there that Sale have got. I do feel a little bit sorry for Quirk because he's played for England before, and if he was starting nine, you know, he'd be able to play for 60, 70 minutes rather than coming on for the last 15 or so. But that's the level of competition they've got. I Even know. with that one jersey, having two fantastic English scrum halves mm. who are relatively similar in age, it's, it's great to see. I feel like, but I was going to say, maybe he moves to, to get some more experience, but actually there's not many teams you go to to actually get in straight in because there I mean, are, there's a lot of lot of nine potential around. I know, like, even a team like Bristol where they've got Harry Randall who again is in and out of the England team. Yep. You can look at Bath with Ben Spencer getting on a bit. Uh-huh. He's still really putting in putting in the work and keeping hold of that shirt. Mm. So it's, it's where do, where does a player like Rafi Quote go? Exactly. Game time? It's a bit of a just a mind blowing scenario for him at the moment. Yeah, maybe off to France. Yeah, well, that's where a lot of people are going. Oh, unfortunately, there's been rumours this week that Tojo's on his way. Though. Really? Yeah. God. He got a pay cut this week. That'd be uh, that'd be something. I mean, yeah, heartbreaker it, for English. He, he has done a lot for England though. So Absolutely. it would be one where he's gone. Oh, I've, I've almost tried my best, and then. Then I'm going to go, but it'll be sad to see. Mm. Um, should we touch on Newcastle just a bit? They're, yeah. they're, they're still in crisis. We talk about it every week. It's they're... a shame, really. It's been like this for a few years yeah. now. No, no wins from six. The start of the season is just, where do you go from here? But I think what they are missing is those star-studded names. Like mm-hmm. You look across the league, and there's, pe- there's people that really stand out from every team sheet. For Bath, you've got Finn Russell. For Bristol, you've got like, the likes of Max Malins. Sale, you've got Ford when he's there. When he's not, it's Rob Dupria. You look at Newcastle, they've got no one. Um, and it's it's like, yes, you've got Matteo Carreras and Adam Radwan, but they're not always fit. Both of them didn't play this week. And when they're not playing, it's like, well, where do you go from here? They Yeah, they don't have world-class playmakers. No. I mean, they don't really have that many world-class players, if, if being truthful, which is always a problem. But it, it's it the, the players that pull the strings that need to be at the top of the game. And their two best players are their wingers. And yeah. when, when, when you can't get the ball wide to them, like... No. What, what can you do? Exactly. I think something's got to change and, and maybe they bring in some youth that's actually going to want to play for them. I, I really don't know where they go from this. Maybe they bring Johnny back. Yeah. <laughs> Run it back if you Oh, years. my goodness. Actually, you know, he probably would know what to do, wouldn't he? <laughs> he he'd know exactly what... Even when he was presenting for the Rugby World Cup, he looked in good shape. Yeah. Like, getting back on the field. <laughs> or not, goodness me. Yeah, it's, it's a tricky one. I think somehow during the international breaks they've got to somehow pick up a couple of wing wins that so they're not bottom of the table come you know five games to go because then that's a really really difficult hill to climb mm, absolutely um, and it's, it's a shame for them really because as we've said they do have some okay players and they as you've mentioned they've got great structure in their play they try and play simple they get it wide mm. and they're effective at times but it's just it's not enough no and that's in a league as competitive as the prem where scores fluctuate every week you've got to have some consistency which Newcastle just cannot find exactly a league where you know defence is is much lower than attack in in quality and if you can't score tries then you're not going to win a game as Michael Owen says you know it's it's not going to happen for you so yeah there's there's definitely something to work on there I think a win in the next couple of fixtures is a must otherwise otherwise they are looking down the barrel in trouble um, moving on to Saturday so we had two games again on Saturday equally as good as the ones on Friday night I should say yeah the first of which was Leicester versus Northampton so what happened there Arch? it was uh, a relatively close game come you know 55-60 minutes and then Leicester sort of pulled away and won 26-17 um, with Saints grabbing a final final minute try yeah. we, we were both playing football at the time when uh, we were when yeah a little, little seven aside but um, no we, we came back looked at the score and a little bit of disappointment as two Saints fans yeah um at half time, it was nine three. Pollard was putting uh, Tigers in control, right, exactly with the boot and ball out of hand as well, getting them in such good field positions. And come second half, they just turned it on. Mm. And it's it's typical Leicester, really. It's re- it's trusting Pollard, going to the corner and scoring those driving ball tries, which Northampton really struggling to defend at the moment. They did, yeah. Um, it was just Pollard's kicking game came to fruition. I think I, that we did manage to watch was the. First half, kicks it over, Furbank's under no pressure, he knocks it on, and immediately Pollard goes, right, I'll just do it again. And every single time he got the ball, probably in his own half, if, you know, maybe just own 22, he just booted it. Put them under pressure, 
Um, and there was a couple of times where, you know, Hendy fumbled it, managed to gather it, then it goes down, turnover, penalty, Pollock kicks over. You know, it, it, it really turned the game, I think. Um, and his just control of the, of, of the play and what to do at the right time, the decision-making was really, really good. Absolutely. You can say the same in defence. They really brought a halt to that Northampton attack. Mm. Last week we saw Northampton absolutely dismantle Exeter with ball in hand. Finn Smith, instrumental in that game. A week later, after such an emotional performance, they just didn't have it. No. Um, which is a shame, really, because Northampton, obviously, three wins in a row. You'd expect them to really build some form. And then Leicester come back in on the back of two losses and absolutely blow them away, even though the scoreline was relatively close. Yeah. It wasn't until the last minute or so when Northampton got, got their final try. So for, for, the, for the majority of the last 15, 20 minutes at... A, a two or three try game exactly like, but they're, they're walking away with it but as you say it was it was very close come half time it was kind of from 40 minutes to 60 minutes where Saints got two yellow cards and Leicester just piled on the pressure that the, the game turned and that I think that's potentially a problem with Northampton if they can't if they get to potentially you know 70 minutes and they're still in it they're very much on for the win but if they lose it within the mid middle of the game then there's very little chance that they're going to come back. Yeah, it's, it's a shame, really, because we did fight right till the very end. We we scored a try when the clock was red after about 83, 84 minutes. Yeah. Um, and that, that relentlessness really paid off because even though we couldn't win the game and the score was out of reach, we still really fought till the end. And that shows that there is some, some t- togetherness and connectivity, even when we're losing by such a big margin. Um, and as well, one player I want to touch on is Henry Pollock. 18 years old, coming on to make his Prem debut. Yeah. Did you see the, the, the camera was on him when he came on? So much emotion, mm-hmm. so much fire power. He was so up for it. Yeah. And to see, see players like that, young players coming through, it was Finn Smith a few years ago at Worcester Springs to mind, but now Henry Pollock at Saints is really good to see. I think it's something that's changed in the last two years with Saints. Ever since they've brought Finn Smith in, I think they are looking to youth a lot more because... Back in the day, you know, you used to have bigger at 10, Dingwall and Hutchinson. The wingers had played 50 caps each. And uh, sometimes, you know, Foden was at the fullback a couple of years ago. Sometimes you had well, North. Before that, we had Lee Dixon and uh, Stephen Myler, who, yeah. uh, who get pushing their 30s for, for a good five, six years when, when, when they were playing. Exactly. So. Uh, but now, you know, Finn Smith's come in. He's playing, obviously, every week. And they've gone, he's 21, but... We'll just give him license to play. Uh, Hendy's starting every week, either on the wing, centre, or fullback. Uh, and a couple of in the forwards, you know, you've got Tom Lockett coming off the bench, who's also 20, and then uh, Pollock today, or, or on Saturday. You know, they are giving the youth quite a bit of chance. And sometimes, if the, it helps both them and the older generations as well. Because if the older generations go, right, I'm not absolutely set in the team, they're going to perform better and, and potentially push the level of quality Absolutely. up. It's like they're, they're competing within themselves, which yeah. is so good. Another player that they spent a lot of time working on is Archie McFarland, scrum half, yes. in pre-season when Mitchell was uh, over in over in France with the England team. He scored a hat-trick in a, in a pre-season game, <laughs> or in a, um, it, I think it was a cup game. Um, yeah, Prem Cup, yeah, yeah. Cup. And he was fantastic, like watching the highlights and just seeing these 18-year-olds coming through the ranks, it's so good to see. It is great to see, and Northamptons have always been great at uh, going from the academy up to the first team. Um, I've always heard about players getting a chance to play in Prem Cups, as you say, in, in the normal season when internationals go away. And, and it's good to see because then you get an actual structured team and all the players feel like they're one as well. Because if you've got the same 15 blokes who are you know, age 28 playing every week and the others are just stuck on the training ground. It's not really a team. It's not worth it. Yeah, it's, it's not, not worth, worth it. What's the point? But if you go, look, you will get a chance. You get three games a year at least at Franklin Scarners or wherever you're going to play in front of 15,000 people. You'll go, yeah, brilliant. At 18 okay. years old, you'd, you'd bite your hand off at that, Exactly. You? And to, for Pollock to come on at... Um, Against Leicester in the East Midlands derby, unbelievable, isn't it? Yeah, as someone, as someone who's been raised around Northampton and probably been in the academy set for years, like yeah. that would be the pinnacle, like to make your debut in, the, in a in a derby game, mm. um, especially one with so much history as that. Exactly, you'd, you'd be over the moon. So yeah, it's it's great to see. Um, on the whole, though, I thought I thought Saints there was some there was some times of promise. Um, we did get the ball out wide. We were playing attacking rugby. Tommy Freeman in at centre. Yes. A bit of a curveball. Um, but it shows that we're really trying to make use of the players that we've got. Um, as you said, George Hendy. 
uh, he's starting every week now and he's only 21 22 so we're um we're really utilizing all these young players and it's great to see yeah i did actually think freeman had a pretty good game he was sort of the crash ball center running the hard lines through the defense just finding a gap and trying to hit it as hard as possible i thought it was it was pretty good from him yeah he's so fast isn't he when he when he gets on the ball there's yeah. no stopping him electric absolutely electric and you say the you know the attacking prowess came you could just see it from the last try. Um, the Matafesi, little inside ball through the gap, and then the dummy in the step. The dummy, show and go. Oh, unbelievable. Perfect. Unbelievable. It's a shame that it came so late. Yeah. yeah it's, it's good to see. And I mean, uh, you, we've got to touch on Leicester, just how, how well of game that Pollard managed to control. Yeah. Um, and obviously they had their star-stepping line up all back in. And uh, they're, they're really flying now. Even though they're on the back of two losses, that win is going to set them in a good stride, I think. Yeah, their back row, just immense. Tommy Rafael, Liebenberg and Visa. Just Get your mouth watering. Exactly. They? You can't do anything against them, really. When Rafael is, is just over the ball, every single rug, there's mm. nothing you can do. I, I saw a couple of stats that uh, Northampton conceded 20 penalties and 17 turnovers. Goodness me. Uh, and, not, and once you go down to 13 men, you actually aren't going to win a game from there. So it was a bit of poor discipline. And once Pollard saw a penalty within 50 metres, kick it over. Just keep 17 it, keep turnovers. It, keep it, yeah. that, is, that is ridiculous. I know. So it's, it, it puts it into perspective because Northampton are notoriously such an attacking team. And they're so fluent in their attacks. And defence is just such a downside um, because... If you're the if you're the top scoring team in the Prem for three years in a row, you, yeah. you expect them to be really pushing at the top. And we've only had the one semi final in the last few years, so it's um it puts it into perspective that defence is the area to work mm-hmm. on. I do think away from home, they, it's not a great form either, um, because they started with a couple of away games, lost them, um, and then finally got a win at the Gardens, but. When they go away, it's just something doesn't click. I don't know. I think that Franklin's Gardens has got a good atmosphere. And it's a bit of a fortress now, yeah, isn't it? So yeah, so I guess that does help as well. But if you can't win away from home, then you're going to struggle in this league to get you know even top half the table, let alone semi-finals. Absolutely. And talking about winning away from home, we, we had the evening game on Saturday, Harlequin Saracens, where Sarri's put on an absolute show at the Stoop. Mm-hmm. Uh, 38-10. Could have been double that scoreline. Definitely. They, they were just incredible. And against a very strong Harlequins team, it's, it's just fantastic to see. It was an absolute smashing. And when they turned up and the news came in that both Daly and Earl were not going to be able to play, you thought, oh, hello, you know, the Harlequins have got potentially a little chance here because Saracens on paper look unbelievable. Mm. Um, with those two in, and even you know, without those two, they've still got a great, great lineup. Uh, but you thought, hang on, look, Harlequins at, at the stoop, they've got a chance here. First couple of minutes, you thought, actually, no, Saracens have just come out the blocks and just rolled them over. Well, you say that, but they got that penalty straight away. Marcus Smith obviously scored, and you're thinking, hmm, here we go, this could, yeah. this could be a good game. And no, they, they then, then got 38 unanswered points put on their heads. So, uh-huh. uh, no, it's a, it's a shame, really, because. Uh, Harlequins really put up a strong team. I thought they'd have a much better chance than they did. But then you see Farrell really take the game by the scruff of the neck, which is also good to see. Um, I thought that first try for Harlequins, the uh, the Ollie Hartley one. For Saracens, sorry. Sorry, for, yes, for yeah. Saracens, where it started from, uh, I think, Good took it, or perhaps Farrell took it in the air. 1-2 with Good, um, played through. Then it was a little bit scrappy, and Atoje got a little a break. A couple of fours play, and then they just shipped it wide. And as you saw the TV, you saw it come to, I think it could have been um, one of the centres. I thought, look, this is because I saw the last man in the defence. I thought, oh, here it is. But then he gave it again. And I was, it looked like they were attacking against 13 men because they just stretched the defence so wide. Mm. Then Hartley, a little step in and, and, and across the line. I thought it was really, it just stood out um, and set the, set the game really. Absolutely. A totally dominant performance. Um, what I thought they did was nail their fundamentals, Saracens. Mm-hmm. They absolutely, in the rucks, they were just getting over the ball. They were contesting everything. They were mauling, mauling, mauling in attack. Really setting a precedent. And it worked. Um, they were aggressive in attack and defence really going for the ball um, and they played long and they played hard and they won. Yeah, the mall for me really stuck out. It was, um, I think, did they score two malls perhaps? It might have been three. It might have been three and a lot of the time you saw them go to the corner rather than kick for post because they went, look, the mall is just tearing them up. They were just pushing over from 15 yard, fifteen metres out and you thought, this is going over, isn't it? Because Or, or they're going to pull it down a penalty and they just go again. They've got some big bodies in that mall, yeah. though, don't they? But yeah. I, I thought, in a, st- in a way, they played like a Quinns 
Quinn's team, um, they were creative. Farrell was trying to drop goals. I mean, they, they were just enjoying their rugby. And, mm. I mean, it showed. Like, they, they pummeled them. And also, it was, it was quite a simple game as well. Yeah, they had the flair and the flowing rugby, but it was give the ball to the forwards, get them have to have them all, and, and then three passes and score. And, and that was it. It was so simple. And Harlequins just were played off the park. It was, it was almost a game where they rocked up already going to lose because Saris was so on it. And against a team like that, you've got to be a special defence to stop them. And I don't think many other teams in the league would be able to. It's a shame for a player like Marcus Smith, who... Who really tried to get things going, but I mean, that's, there was just nothing working. That Harry's defence was ruthless, mm. and for Smith to, to face up against Farrell in a game like that, he get absolutely torn off the park. And then when Jared Evans comes on, Smith gets pushed into fullback. It's like yeah. it's it's kind of like a, a statement from Farrell, um, saying that he is the man. And no matter how much Mark Smith taught there is. Farrell will remain that England ten. And normally, when you see a Harlequin side, obviously you see a lot of Smith because he it plays through him. But then you also see Esther Hazen and then the players out wide as well. Um, but it just it just didn't happen. I, I don't think I saw Lewis Liner get the ball almost at all because nothing worked. And Smith was just silent from ten, and they, they couldn't actually ship the ball wide whatsoever. Yeah, there was a time when Tyrone Green got the ball in the first half, and he was just suffocated. Yeah. And that was about the only time I saw him have a run. But, um, but no, it's, it's a shame, really, because this Quinns team is fantastic, and I really want to see them do well. They start the season on fire. They were top of the league after a few games. Mm. But then all the, all the big boys came back in, and as we can see, the impact that they can have is just ridiculous. I think Saris are going to be a really, really strong team this, this year. They always are. I mean, they, 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 they already are, but I think they're just going to have absolutely no mercy. They're going to be as ruthless as possible and just try and absolutely run teams into the ground like they did today. Uh, a Harlequin side, as he said, that was top of the league a couple of weeks ago, they've just won by 30 points almost. Mm. And scored, what, seven tries against them? Six tries? Six or seven, yeah. yeah. Just unbelievable. But ruthless is a great word to sum up their attacking style. Just aggressive, ruthless, really straight to the point and meeting their man in the tackle. Really, really attacking them with their heads on, getting the ball wide. Just normal route one attacking rugby mm. and it's working. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know where... Quinns are obviously going to bounce back from this, but I think they need to a little bit of a regroup because after that, there's there's got to be some questions asked. Look, boys, why is the firstly the defence because um, we've conceded forty points, but then also the attack because a lot of the time there's been very very high scoring uh, Quinns games. You think back a couple of years ago to the semi final and the final that were both eighty points net in them. You know, forty five thirty nine or something was was so was, a, stupid, yeah. was a was a Quinns game. Um, so, you know, they, they've been times where they conceded a lot of points, but there's, they've also been able to score them, and they just didn't do that on yeah, Saturday. And on, on paper, that's the best Quinns team that they've got. Yeah. So where do they go from there? It's a bit, it's a bit like looking at that, um, looking at different games in, the, in scenarios, like the Bristol team, for example, where they've got all their, all their best players on show, Malin's back in, but they just can't buy a win. Mm-hmm. And it's, you, you look at that Quinns team as well, having... Well, all their best players back, you think they're going to flourish, but they just could grind to a halt almost. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> can we say already that it's going to be a Saracens, as in top of the table, as in winning the, the league, not necessarily the actual title, just at the top of the table? Oh, I think in terms of hedging your bets, you can't really look past them or Sale. Um, Sale have obviously had a tremendous start, the only team to win five from six. Yeah. And then Saris have just... They're just the team to be, aren't they? So, one of the two, yes, for yeah, sure. They are a little bit behind because before all the internationals came back, they weren't on top form. But now that they are, I think they've they're almost unstoppable. Genuinely, yeah, they, they lost by a fifty-point margin to Exeter, who on Sunday really played in the game of the weekend for me. Uh, Twenty-five, twenty-four, Exeter, Gloucester. What a way to finish an unbelievable derby weekend. Mm. Um, and we ended like we started a one point game well I was thinking that this is the most rogue derby to be fair all the others are really are close teams Exeter and Gloucester it's a, few, it's a bit of a stretch obviously but... it's not you know Exeter and Newcastle because that's not a derby but I don't know to calling this one a derby I thought was a little bit of a stretch but it was a good game yes mm. I agree we'll, we'll call it a derby now for how good of a game it was uh-huh. um, we'll start with the losing team Gloucester I thought they really deserved four points out of this game yeah um they had no Sack Mercer, which is obviously a big lot, big loss. 
But Jack Clement comes in at eight and really sets the tone. Obviously, mm-hmm. he got his try. He was tremendous on the ball. He was carrying, he was mauling, he was being a real nuisance at the breakdown as well, which is exactly what Zach Mercer brings. So a pretty much like-for-like performance from him. And as well, Louis Rees-Samet, he was electric as always. But what I liked from his game is he was getting inside and getting on the ball more. Yes. Kind of like an old-school Jack Noel kind of vibe. Um, and he's and a powerful runner, isn't exactly he? Exactly. Really like, powerful. He's Traditionally, you would expect him to be out of the two wingers, the one who pegs his ears back and goes for it. But now he's getting yeah. inside, getting on the ball. And it's good to see because it offers a new kind of perspective to Gloucester's game. No, 100%, because he has been for a couple of years, just hugged the touchline and someone pings a pass. And as he say, he just runs the length of the pitch. But coming in and providing, obviously he's powerful, but it's the, the speed that he comes at. Um, and if you're going to run into a defence or almost into a gap at such pace, then there's a good chance that you're going to break the tackles, break the sort of flailing arms. And make a couple of yards. So it's a really, really um, powerful weapon to have in the he, midfield. He is, for sure. And similarly for Exeter, they've got Tom Wyatt, who is just the man of the moment at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, man of the moment at the moment. Uh, another great performance from him. He's now the player with the most defenders beaten and the, has the joint most carries in the league this season. Yeah. Which, for a back, is just an unbelievable stat. He's. He, I think he might even be outright first now over Don Brown. Wow. But... For a back to have the most carries, it's just unbelievable. It's unheard of. It's because he pops up uh, as a 15, you know, pops up in between either 10 or 12 or between the centres and tries to break a little gap in between. He's a live wire, isn't he? But it's like at the start of the season now, Josh Hodge (laughs) really tear down Saracens Mm -hmm. with his three tries. Obviously, he got injured, and now in comes Tom Wyatt, and he's really filling the boots. Yeah. And uh, as well as this complementing, complementing Henry Slade with another playmaker. Yeah. It's it's just so exciting to see Exeter really find their brand of rugby back. For the times that Exeter did have the ball, because I did think that Gloucester were the better team for ninety percent of the eighty minutes. Genuinely, I think. They should have won the game, as you said. But when Exeter did have the ball, Slade knew exactly what to do. And almost every time that they got into the 22, they scored. Because they didn't have a huge amount of time in that. They had a fair amount of possession just in the midfield parts. But once they got in there, they, they, it was almost back to old school Exeter. You knew that Slade would play it if the backs wanted it. But if, if not... Just give it to the forwards. Just drive, 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 and then you've got over. Yeah. And that's how um, their you know penultimate try or their last try, penultimate score came. Mm. Before then, Slade was able to to kick the points over I for the know. win. And touching on Slade, obviously him and Skinner worked so well as a playmaking duo. And then to have a threat like Tom Tom Wyatt outside mm. of him, it's just it's such a such a nice attacking brand of rugby. But one thing I like about Slade. He, everything looks like it's running in slow motion when he's got the ball. It seems like he's got yeah. so much time on the ball. And for one of his, um, for one of one of the tries where he just popped into the capsule, I can't remember his name. Jenkins. It might be. And the uh, extra second row. Yes. Literally just slowed the ball down completely. Just wait for the defender to mm-hmm. be in. And it's just, it's just class. It's textbook, but it's class. And, well, you've picked out Tom White for beating lots of defenders. I think Slade will be up there as well, because he does so many gaps he goes through, and you just see him in space, and that's where he's the best. When he's, he's got his eyes up, and he can see the defenders, and he's got players either side who are calling for it, and he'll know to you know pop it inside um, or fling it out wide. And to have someone like that at 13 that could play 10, but actually wants a bit more space, is just perfect for the Exeter team. Yeah, it's not just... A- playmaker he's a ball carrier and he offers so much versatility it's great to see and obviously off the boot he had a fantastic game the pressure that he was under Mm -hmm. talk about nerves of steel for that penalty 22-24 and he goes to the points obviously nails it yeah wasn't the easiest kick no it was was a horrible windy game and the exuberation in his face when he when he uh got saw it go through the uprights it's just it's a great feeling. I was quite surprised because I thought, you know, you could get Skinner to whack it in the corner because uh, it was obviously on the left side, mm. put it in the corner and then see if Exeter could drive it over. But, may, you know, maybe they went, oh, a bit too tired. It's ballsy, yeah. but yeah, fair play to them. They, they, worked, they, they worked hard and they had to because Gloucester were relentless in attack. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have so many weapons. Even 
even someone like scrum half Stephen Varney off the bench, he was d- dotting and darting everywhere for the 20 minutes that he was on. Yeah, I thought, along with Rhys Amit, if we've already picked out, I thought Ollie Thorley was really, really good. You know, he scored a try, um, and it was he was the one that was actually just hanging on the wing and was able to pin his ears back. And once he gets the ball, you know he's going to make yards. Every single time he's going to make, he's going to gain you a couple of yards, probably beat a defender or two. It's just he doesn't get the ball that often, which is, you know, a bit of a downside for the Gloucester team but I think you know and uh, having Carreras at 15 as well that back three is really really powerful yeah as well Seb Atkinson we talk about young players all the time and he's a fantastic example 21 22 years old Mm. um, obviously joined Gloucester after the Warriors collapsed but he's really come into his own and he's kept hold of that 12 shirt now for a good good year or so. Yeah. Obviously got his try as well. Did you see his little try? Pick and go from the base, like uh-huh. a classic nine. Unbelievable. He's, he's about six foot one and he's getting down to, to be able to pick and go like that. It's fantastic. Yeah. Um, but no, he's, he's a fantastic player in defence and attack. Um, and I think Gloucester deserved to win, but equally, Exeter played a fantastic game. Bro. I just think, you know, Gloucester went about the last couple of minutes in, in a wrong way. I think there were points where, certainly for the last try, that they could easily have not not got themselves into that position. It was a couple of penalties, and then obviously Exeter to find themselves five metres out, and you know they're probably going to score. And then for the final kick from Slade, just don't go in the ruck. Just leave it, because otherwise you'll be hands on your feet or playing in the ruck or not releasing. Mm. Or Sorry, not hands on your feet, off your feet, hands in the ruck, not releasing, you know. And they didn't need to do that. They were winning by two points, and any penalty, they're going to kick it over. And I think that's just a little bit of poor management from Gloucester mm. that potentially has crept back in from, from years gone by. They just can't quite find a way to win. They, they're winning at 75, but they're not winning after 80. And it's a bit of disappointment, really, from them. Um, I guess, you know, they're still not doing too badly um, overall performance-wise. They could take that from that, the fact that they were dominant for 90% of the 80. Uh, but the, if the performance aren't going their way, and the, sorry, the results aren't going their way, you can't, you can't do anything about that. No, it's a shame as well, because as we said, they've got so much talent. Jack Clemens, Zach Mercer... Ludlow as well, the captain. Um, that back row itself is scary. It's, mm. it's so good. Um, and then in the backs as well, they've got so much flair. So when they do get going, they're a really tough team to beat. It's just if they can do that every week, which at the moment they don't seem to be able to do so. No, exactly. Um, so that is the five games of this weekend. It was, you know, unbelievable games. A couple of one-pointers, really close, and then others where it was just an absolute tri-fest. So as I mentioned before, we're going to go through... And for each team, pick out sort of our man of the match um, across the board. Uh, so should we start with that first game of the weekend on the Friday, Bath against Bristol? Yeah, so um, we'll, we'll have a man of the match for each team. Um, yeah. we'll, so we'll see if we agree, but if not, you know, we we'll can go. have a couple. So let's start with the winners, Bath. I've gone for Ollie Lawrence. I think that was probably the no-brainer of the weekend. Of a, a bit of a landslide, yeah. Obviously got man of the match in the game as well. Yeah. He was just a threat whenever he got on the ball. But as well for Bristol, I thought when he came on, Max Malins offered such a new lease of life for mm-hmm. them. They were getting it wide to him, he was getting inside on the ball, and they were a real threat. Yeah, I was going to put in for Bristol Harry Randall, because I thought he was a real live wire, you know, picking and going, finding a little gap, and then when Sheedy wanted it, fizzing an absolute dart to him. So I thought he was really good um, at organising the game. Um, and, you know, Ollie Lawrence, it, it, what more does he need to do to... to to be the best player in England, I think exactly. I think he's on an absolute trajectory for for England number thirteen. Well, what he was a Premier League Player of the Year, a Premiership Player of the Year last season. So yeah. he's on the back of a fantastic year anyway. So, or it might have been the season before. No, I think it was last, was it last season. Oh, it might have been. Um, but either way, he's just so good, isn't he? And he's really found his feet in yeah. that Bath team. And now that back line for Bath is scarily good it's really good scarily good yeah. um, and I think that if they continue to put performances like that then they're going to be definitely there in the top four but they've got depth as well they've got obviously Orlando Bailey mm. when he doesn't play Cam Redpath comes off the bench and does a great job they've yeah. got some real good real good depth in which team. compared to last year is a complete switch it's complete a turnaround story, isn't yeah. It? yeah unbelievable uh, so moving on to the second one on Friday night uh, which was uh, the Sale Newcastle. Sale Newcastle one. Uh, for Sale, I thought it was a tricky one because um, the actual man of the match was 
uh, Gus War, I think. Um, so I went for Rob De Prune instead, just because I, I thought, you. you know. I think he was instrumental. Obviously yeah. got his try, five from six off the tee, which really added to that 40-point scoreline. Mm-hmm. If, if jo- Josh Thomas for Newcastle had got some conversions and Rob De Prune had missed, we would have been talking a completely different story. Yeah. So those little extra two points really contributed. Um, but his it's ball in hand as well was fantastic. So we can't we can't disregard that. He had a great game. Filling Ford's boots, he's our man of the match. Exactly. It was quite funny. As they were announcing that Gus War was going to win the man of the match, I think they scored that last try where Rob Dupree did a, a lovely two-on-one at the end. Uh, and I think the commentators went, well, maybe we should have given it to, to Dupree. But perhaps. Perhaps. For Newcastle, though, I thought Josh Thomas had a great game. Oh, you, you did go for Josh Thomas. I did go for Josh Thomas because he's... He's really in a situation where he doesn't really have many X-Factor weapons to utilise. He's, especially in the backs, he's really got to try and get that ball wide. Um, and he does a good job of it. He really tries to get everyone involved. And, I mean, as, as lacklustre as Newcastle can be in attack, he was a little shining light for them. So, if, if we're going to say a player for the losing team, for me it's going to be Josh Thomas. OK, you go on Josh Thomas. I went for the, the number eight, Callum Chick, actually, because I thought he was one of the, the really good ball-carrying forwards, uh, helped Newcastle, I think, score one or two tries. Um, I'm pretty sure he got on the score sheet himself. And uh, then for the the, the mall, where the, the dummy mall around the outside, and then he got it and out the back to um, to the to the hooker to score. Um, I thought he was pretty good. You know, a good forward in a relatively average pack, um, shining through, so I, I went for him. Sounds good. Uh, moving on to Saturday, Leicester Northampton started the winning team again. Hmm. Leicester, you can't really look past Andre Pollard, can you? No, you could. I was going to go. I think Tommy Raphael got man of the match, mm. and I thought he did get lucky with one or two turnovers, but he was everywhere. But I also went for for Andre Pollard too. What I noticed with Tommy Raphael is, and it's been brought up a lot recently, is the tackle release and then go for the ball. Yeah. He's a, he has a very quick release, which sometimes for Wales in the World Cup he got pinged for. Yes. Whether it was for or against him, it could be the right decision, it could be the wrong decision. But there's times when he's just a bit too quick to get to that ball. And as much as it's a great thing, having that awareness, he just needs to slow himself down a little bit to mm. not be caught and with, a, with a few penalties. I think there was maybe one where he was just overextending. I, I saw that and went, oh, surely that's hands on the ground mm. off his feet. Uh, but then, uh, who was it? Carl Dixon gave the penalty to Rafael. And I was like, oh, that's a little bit harsh. But uh, but he, he did get some fair turnovers. Uh, it was a very good all-round-the-pitch, but I think, as, a, as he said, Andre Pollard was standout for me, yeah, genuinely. He controlled that game fantastically, from minute one as well. Mm-hmm. Um, for Saints, who have you gone for? I went for Finn Smith. I thought that he controlled the, the Saints' attack when there was attack pretty well, and also the defence in times, uh, especially in that first half where it was a bit of a deadlock. The only points were penalties. I thought he did a pretty good job of, of organising the back three weren't, you know, weren't up to shape really, especially under the high ball. So I thought actually coming from the ten uh, was was probably the player I went for. Yeah, he he does tend to put his body on the line quite a lot for himself, yeah. which is great to see. I actually thought Tommy Freeman had a great game at yeah. thirteen as well because obviously it's a new position to him that he's been trialled in throughout the season. Um, but he's he's really playing well there. It brings a new lease of life to the Saints attack, which is forever evolving and creating more more opportunity um, but no I think he's fantastic and he compliments Dingle quite well when Dingle plays inside as another playmaker yes. and then Freeman's like that as you say like explosive kind of centre so mm. I, I understand Finn Smith and Tommy Freeman so yeah I, I'd be happy with either of those yeah I was going to go Freeman as well I, I, but I thought that uh, that Smith you know back to back was re- was been really good last two weeks um, okay on to the second game of Saturday Quinns against Saris. Uh, what do we, should we go Saris first? Yeah, let's go for the winning, winning team. team. Um, again, it's a bit of a theme, but I've gone with fly half Owen Farrell. Ooh, okay. Um, I thought he was tremendous. He was obviously controlled the game, speaks for itself, but his aggression that he brought to the game in a way that it's, it's being used in the right sense. Uh-huh. He's playing forward, attacking rugby, he's getting stuck in. He wasn't, he wasn't um, shying away from a tackle. And as well, when... There was a time when Danny Kale went for touch and um, 
so I don't know how Farrell's acrobatics meant, meant the ball stayed in, but mm. it was just fantastic to see. And that, that kind of captivated or capped off a fantastic game from him and a real statement against Marcus Smith. Yeah, I can certainly see. And, and as he matched up with Smith, Farrell certainly, as we've said, certainly got the better of him. Um, I went for Alex Good, actually, at 15. I thought that he had a pretty good game, both in defence and attack. Pardon the pun. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> uh, and there was a couple of times where he was really influential in a try. There was uh, one, I think, was it Lewington's try, where he nudged the ball forward um, under immense pressure uh, and then there was a little run on and, and dab it down. I thought that was absolutely pure class. And then, as I mentioned, the one for Hartley's try, the one-two with Farrell, uh, was was really good. So mm. I thought he was a pretty standout. Who's gone for Hartley? Uh, it was tricky. I, I genuinely... Quinns did not have a good day at the, the office and I thought it was really difficult to pick. So I went for either... Uh, Smith, Marcus Smith, because he did was the sort of one shining light in the backs, or potentially Esther Hazen, who was relatively quiet throughout the game and then did pop up for the try right at the end. Genuinely, the two that I would have said yeah. as well. So you, there wasn't really much going on in the forwards for Harlequins because they just came put, pushed over, whitewashed yeah. them. Itoje, um, Christie as well. He had a fantastic game at mm. six, um, and you look at that. You look at that Quinn's back row of. Um, Don Brandt, Dino Lamb, so Will Evans at seven as well. And that's yeah. a real star-studded back row that's got them, they pretty much won them the Prem a few years ago. It's gotten to a position where they have been knocking on the door of the top four for the last few years. Mm. And then you, you come to probably the biggest game of the season, hosting Saris, and they all go quiet. So yeah. I can't really um, can't really highlight an atta- uh, a forward in that sense. So it's either going to be Marcus Smith or Andre Estes. And I think Estes did get on the ball as much as he could and he tried to be a nuisance in defence as well, uh-huh. like he always is. So yeah. We'll give it to him for that one. Let's, to let's do that. Go yeah. away from the fly half bias. And I feel like Marcus Smith will come up probably in, in various weeks as oh, well. Yeah, yeah, he, for sure, you for know. sure. He's got so much talent. Yeah. Um, moving on to the final game of the weekend. My favourite game of the weekend was Exeter Gloucester. And for me... Man of the match on the whole, Henry Slade. Uh huh. That's he, that is the one man I've got down next to the. He extra. speaks for himself, doesn't it? I just don't know how Steve Borthwick didn't pick for him. He's one of our most influential assets, and the fact that he wasn't in the World Cup thirty-three is just scary. Mm. Like he's he's been a trademark standpoint in this England team for the eight or nine years that he's been involved in the setup. Um, he's obviously Exeter's talisman, and he's just he's fantastic. Like, why aren't we picking him? Do you think these last almost six weeks, every, almost every week, he's had an unbelievable game? Are these six weeks going to, and future, going to get him back into that England team? I think they have to. I think his Six Nations hopes are just so bolstered at the moment by the quality of rugby that he's displaying. He's just fantastic week in, week out, as you say. And he's their, he's their man, he's their leader. And when you come to an England team, you want to pick the best of the best, the cream mm. of the crop. And look no further than Henry Slade, for goodness sake. So then where does he fit in if you're going to... Probably stick Farrell at 10. You'd have, you'd have, at the moment, you'd have Farrell or Ford at 10. You'd have Ollie Lawrence at 12. And then you've got Slade at 13. So you, you're getting rid of Tuolangi. Um, well, you, you, could, you could add one on the bench, Tuolangi, or maybe a Joe March. Yeah, or March. You can do a bit of both. And then I just can't, you just can't not have Lawrence and Slade together. It's just the what they bring is just so so creative. Yeah, definitely, I can I can see that. And then for Gloucester, who uh, who did he go for there? So I was torn between Louis Rousseau and Jack Clement. Um, mm. I went for Jack Clement in the end. Okay. I thought he he really came into his own, obviously filling Zach Mercer's massive boots at number eight. Um, but he had a really good game. Got his try. Was a nuisance all day. Um, but as well, Louis Rousseau was as we said, phenomenal. He was getting in on the ball as much as possible, which is a new lease of life for him, where he's used to staying on the wing and waiting for the ball to come to him. Yeah, well, well, well I went for... I, I did think uh, Jack Clement, uh, potentially, but I went for another winger. I went for Oli Thorley, mm. Oli Thorley, as I mentioned before. Uh, I thought that he uh, was was a pretty, pretty decent set of wheels on him um, and took his try very well. And he tried to pop up where where he could, but almost his, his, that wasn't his the aim of him. The aim was to try and get it out to him and then run around the extra defence, which he did once or twice. So I thought that was pretty good from him. But I I do see where you've gone forwards uh, this this time. We we can agree to disagree. Yeah yeah yeah, yeah definitely. Disagree. So that brings a little end to 
the this round of fixtures of the Gallagher Prem, round six. Um, looking at the table briefly, obviously we have Newcastle towards the bottom, really out there on their own. But we also have Sale leading the way up top. Um, mm. Little thought on, on their, their start to the season. Five wins from six games. It's fantastic, isn't it? Yeah, an unbelievable start for Sale. I think that they just need to carry on this um, the way they're going. And they know how to win, as I said before. Even when they don't have George Ford on the pitch, they know that they can still play a really, really good brand of rugby and, and get over. And once they nail it down um, to just a tiny formula, it's not, not even that difficult. They're, they're buzzing. Awesome. They, they're on. Um, so that, that's, as we said, a little wrap-up of Derby Day, uh, Derby Weekend, um, and now we're going to move on to a Derby-related quiz. Indeed. Yeah, so we've both prepared five questions uh, focused on either the rivalries of the games or famous fixtures across the years that have been Derby-themed in the Prem. Mm-hmm. So uh, would you like to start with some questions? I will. I'll go for my five questions first. Uh, now we're going to go for a little bit of a history lesson here. Oh, goodness. Uh, the first one, it... Uh, it is about Bristol against Bath, the West Country Derby. When was the first ever West Country Derby played? Oh, goodness me. Um, I'm, I'm looking for the year, aren't I? Yeah, you can, yeah. You can have the year. Not, you know, 15th of March. Yeah. It's, it's not that. Um, oh, goodness me. First one would be, I'm feeling like, feeling like a 1975, maybe? A 1975? Maybe they're two older teams. Uh, 1975 is about 90, 80 years out. Oh, goodness. It was actually 1888. Oh, for goodness sake. Uh, if you did want the date, 27th of October, 1888. Uh, yeah, yeah. Bit, of, bit, of a, bit of a long one there. Goodness me, um, so, I was well off. So this yeah. might, that might help you in the second question, which is also relatively um, historic. historic. So what edition was this um, game of the East Midlands derby? Uh, so how many games effectively have... They've been between Leicester and Northampton. Right. And I have to get the exact number here. No, nah, you can get it within 10, 15, I think. Ooh, 10, 15, that's quite a big range. There are quite a few. Oh, okay. So, so if you think about that, I think their first game was around that okay, 18. So let's 18. have a think. They're, they're playing each other twice a year most years, and maybe even more with the, with the semis. We're looking at, goodness me, well over 100. Um, in that respect, I'm going to go. 120. 120. Um, <laughs> 120. It was, in fact, 252. So more than double. What? More than double. So, oh so this God. was the 252nd edition of the East Midlands Derby. You know what? I'm underestimating how old yeah. these clubs are. Because back in the day, you know, they used to play each other four times because there weren't a huge amount of teams of in, in the league. So they've just racked up so many games. Mm. Um, so there we, there we go. There's the two history lessons for you. Now, these ones should be a little bit easier, I think. You can see I don't do, do history. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely not a historian. So, okay, we'll go to the ones that are more focused on this week. Um, which player became the most capped player in the East Midlands derby with their 28th appearance this weekend? 28th appearance. Um... Oh, we've got to look at longevity players here. Mm-hmm. So what springs to mind is one of the Wallers, um, potentially for Saints. Um, in that Leicester team, I can't, can't really think of anyone past Ben Youngs. So for me, it's going to be between Alex Waller or Ben Youngs. <sighs> oh, it's a bit of a coin flip. I'm going to go Ben Youngs. Ben Youngs is correct. Yes. Good uh, work. 28, did you say? 28, Goodness, yeah. He's been kicking around for a while. I know. You? But there you go, because 28 in what? He's only played for 15 years, yeah, maybe? count a few maybe misses for injury and stuff like that. Exactly. So they do play a fair amount of t- times, these two players. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, these two teams. Okay, uh, number four. How many tries within five were there this weekend? In the, ten, in the five games, ten teams. Oh, my goodness. How many tries were there this weekend? Let's do some math. So, first game we had two from Bath and three from Bristol. So, that's five. Second game we had six from Sale, four from Newcastle. So, that's 15 in total. Then we had Saints-Leicester was... I think Saints got one try, um, no, two tries, and Leicester got three, I'm going to say, two or three. So that's going to be like 19-20. Um, 
Then we've got Saris with bloody hell loads, six or seven, Queens with one, that takes us to about 26. And then we've got Exeter Gloucester with another six or seven in that game. You know what? I'm going to go for a little, little bit of a guess. 33. 33 is correct. Wow. Unbelievable. You know what? I spent time with a bit of maths there, like 30 seconds, but it paid off. And it works. Well done. So that's two from four. Uh, and to be fair, the history questions were almost impossible. So I think you've done really well there. Uh, final one. Which player scored the most points this weekend? Most points this weekend? Um, someone who got a try and maybe a few points off the tee. Um, I'm going to guess Rob Dupria is the man. Rob Dupria got 15 points. Yeah. Oh, does someone get 16? Andre Pollard got 16 oh, points. Oh, there we go. Ah, unlucky. How did I overlook him? So just one out. Uh, so two out of five, which I think with these questions is pretty good. Yeah, that was a, a tough few questions, especially yeah. ones to start. So now we'll, uh, we'll take two from five. Um, moving on to my question. So I've gone with a similar theme with, with historical fixtures to start, but modern history. So within the last 15 years or so. Um, my first question who famously received only a yellow card for punching Chris Ashton in the face when Saints played Leicester in 2011? Now, I think the name has just popped in immediately and I might look like an absolute fool if this is wrong, but is it Manu Tuolangi? It is Manu Tuolangi. Oh, I try to start with a relatively straightforward one to get the ball rolling, but Beautiful. have you seen the clip of that? Yeah, it's, it's hilarious. And have you seen the refereeing as well? No. One of the uh, worst bits of refereeing I've ever seen, because this is before they had TMO in the Prem. Yeah. Um, they, I think it was Wayne Barnes, the ref, um, he, he communicated with the, the touch judge who said both players deserved a yellow card when, first of all, Manu w- made a high tackle on Ashton. Yeah. And then after a little bit of handbags, Manu full-on swings it in. Ashton's there, <laughs> lying on the floor, getting received in a yellow card. Should have been a red card for Manu. Should have been a red and a ban for one. And Fine then a, for Ashton. And then a penalty and a UOK <laughs> for the other. Um, so we'll, we'll leave it there. Uh, one, one from one. Moving on to question two. Um, this is themed around the Exeter game. So... As we mentioned, Henry Slade played a massive part in Exeter's win on Sunday. How many to the nearest five England caps does he have? Oh, that's a great question. Now, I think he's probably been knocking around for about eight or nine years. Mm. You know, 2015, 2014. That's when he made his debut, 2015. 2015, okay. Mm. So I'm going to go for a nice round... uh, Well, it's not actually... uh, I'm going to go 45. Oh, you've underestimated him. Underestimated. 57. Ah! Oh, 57, according to Wikipedia. I can't remember, you know, him running out for his 50th cap, but it might have just been a friendly and I just wasn't, you know, watching mm. it or paying attention. Uh, yeah, I, um, yeah I, I, I thought it'd be less than that as well, but yeah, 57. He's done well. Done yeah, very well. He's, he's knocking on the door of the likes of Ford and yeah, yeah, all, all those boys who are hitting 70. Up in the so. 70s, yeah. yeah. Um, so, one from two so far. Question number three. On Friday, Bath beat Bristol by just one point. Of their two starting fly halves, Finn Russell and Callum Sheedy, who has the most Gallagher Premiership points this season so far? This season so far? Ooh. I'm going to let you know that it's close. It's close? Yeah. Okay. Now, I know for a fact Russell missed at least two games, I think. I think he came, he came on as a sub in the third game after it was only you know 25 minutes or so. Um, and... Have Bristol actually scored that many points for Sheedy to kick points over? Mm, I think Sheedy's probably the easy answer. Uh, so I'm, I'm going to stick. I'm going to go with Sheedy. So, Callum Sheedy this season has 41 points. Finn Russell, 42. Oh man! I told you it was close. Blimey! Unbelievable by one point. That's ridiculous. Ah. Oh. It's kind of ironic that uh, yeah. Bath beat Bristol by one point, isn't it? Because so he's, he's done well there, Russell. Only three and a half games, and he's already racked up 42 <laughs> points. When I saw, saw that stat, I was blown away. Yeah. yeah. Um, so one from three. Question number four. Going to Newcastle now. Newcastle have lost all six Prem games so far this season. From these, how many losing bonus points have they picked up? Oh, good question. Good question. So definitely won this weekend because I think they got four tries. Mm-hmm. So that's one. And they were close against Saints. So that's another one. Uh, they must have picked up one more. 
and they might even picked up two. But I'm gonna I'm gonna go <laughs> with the with what I thought first and say say three. You are correct. There we go. It Where was, was the other one? So it was uh, this weekend against Sale Saints, and then I'm not actually sure. There was one more that yeah. I couldn't quite remember. I just went. They must have done. They must have scored four tries against the others. Saints game. Sixteen fourteen. It I was. Yeah. Watching it was. <laughs> Squeaky bones. It was it, indeed. Um, well, we'll move on quickly. Question number five. This is for the win. So, we're talking about Harlequins and Saris. Um, obviously, Harlequins suffered a big loss to Saris this weekend. And to get a point for this question, can you name either Harlequins or Saracens as a top all time try scorer? So, I just need one, and I'm giving you two opportunities Saris or Quinn's top try scorers? And you know both of the players. So oh my I'll give you that. goodness me. So I'm guessing they must be relatively recent. And I'm just trying to rack my brain for some wingers here. Because surely it's got to be some some wingers. Um, oh, okay. Mm. I'll tell you, one of the players is a winger. Now, this might be a little bit rogue, but I think he's played there for a while. And I know he was like top... He was in the top ten try scorers last year, and he's done it for a while. Although, am I? Am I? This is might just be me talking absolute rubbish. Okay, the one name that I can't get out of my head for Saracens, surely not. No, I'm going to go for it. Is 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 Sean Maitland? No, no, no. No, yeah, that was a hard no. So the Saracens answer is Chris a- Chris Ashton. Oh, I actually thought of him. I didn't think he played for that long for Saris. I mentioned him in the first one. Oh, um, man. Do you have an answer for the Harlequins one? Oh, the Harlequins Because the, the, the point is still available. Point's still available. God, for Harlequins. I'll give you a clue. He has scored 107 tries in all competitions for them. And he's not a winger. Is he Danny Kerr? He is Danny Kerr. Was I that th- a guess? Or? No, that was someone who I went, oh yeah, I forgot Danny Kerr's played forever. Yeah, he has. He's been keeping him out for a while. I think he's 37, 38. He is ridiculous. He's, um, he's moving on. So yeah, you, uh, you picked me to the post there. Three, three to two in the quiz. Only just. Fair play. Um, but that brings the end to... Another week of rugby, another podcast, seven seven episodes in the books. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, we're fine. Um, so we'll, we'll be back next week talking all things Gallagher-Prem once again. Um, unfortunately, not a derby weekend. Mm. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll make the most of it and uh, hopefully bring some more entertaining questions to that. Indeed, perfect. Thank you for listening, as always. Goodbye from me. Yeah, goodbye from me as well.